Are we, as from Jews, living overly ostentatious lifestyles? Is it unsustainable? Rav Ephraim Waxman Schlichta gave a very powerful speech about what I'm calling the Parnosa crisis. I'm going to play you clips from Rav Waxman's speech, and his message essentially was just don't do it. Just resist the pressure. Don't make a vart. I'll play you the clip that's essentially what he said is you don't need to make a vart. You don't need to wear fancy clothing. You don't need to spend money that you do not have. And in fact, you should not spend money that you do not have. Even if you're worried about what people are going to think, do not cave into the pressure. Now, obviously, it's easier said than done. But I need to point out, Rabbi Waxman's speech was extremely positive. He wasn't criticizing anybody. He wasn't negative. He was empowering people, saying, you can do this. He discussed the fact that many from families are living beyond their means, spending obscene amounts of money on simchas, on traveling, on varts, other luxuries. And he essentially said it's not sustainable. Not everybody can be a gvir. There is a bell curve. Not everybody can be wealthy. Again, like I said, not bashing, just trying to empower, inspire many of us to not give in, to not cave in and succumb to the social pressure. He referred to the exorbitant spending at one point as terrorism. He said, he actually said that the most loathsome Jewish gathering, he said, not a Leviah, the most loathsome Jewish gathering, loathsome, is a vart, and he called it a waste of time, money, and energy. And he said we could rice Korea over the endless waste of money. Uh, And essentially, he said, don't do it. Stop making varts. Stop spending $50,000 on a five-hour party and probably a lot more. And that was his overall message, in addition to also pointing out that these are not Yiddish values. This is not some kind of Yiddish Masira. <clears throat> yes, it's become very ingrained in our culture to make these very extravagant simchas and have very extravagant lifestyles, but that's not like inherent to Yiddish values at all. It's something that we have somehow adopted. Now, look, Rav Waxman obviously does not need my haskama, but sometimes I wonder, I don't know how families do it. Obviously, there's some very fancy cars out there, you know, but uh, even the Toyota Camry, I'm not talking about a fancy car. How do you afford an Odyssey? How do you afford, an, uh, you know, a brand new uh, Toyota Sienna when you're talking about all the expenses? And again, it depends on a person's income. But literally, somebody could be making $200,000 a year and after taxes, they don't have enough money just to afford tuition and groceries. So you start thinking about all the expenses, camps, tuition, clothing, insurance, bungalow colonies, traveling, airplane tickets, etc. And the money flies out the window. Like, is everybody earning like half a million dollars a year? You know, that's really the question. And look, obviously, the caterers and the people who are serving the food and the people who you pay to make the chasinas and make the simchas, you know, they are kind of, and again, I don't begrudge them at all. Let them, let them be, you know, uh, taking advantage of this. But like, you, ha- you hear about sometimes an upsharing that can cost several thousand dollars. I heard about a toyamel suda that cost thousands of dollars. Literally, a, a yardside suda, you know, can, can cost a couple of thousand dollars. So that's really the question. Is the money really going to the right causes over here? So let's listen to some clips. I, I actually have, I chose a bunch of clips here. I'm going to set them up. At the end, by the way, at the end of this podcast episode, I will play you the uh, speech in its entirety, at least the 17 minutes that have been spread on social media. I think that's actually an excerpt from the speech. But I'm just going to play you short clips here. Some some of them are out of order because I just want I chose the ones that I think make the most sense uh, in terms of the context. So uh, here's here, here's clip number one. Here you have Rabbi Waxman blasting varts, and like I said, he described it as the most universally loathed Jewish gathering. He actually said at one point he said that we thought we got rid of it. Presumably, he's a, he's alluding to. The COVID pandemic and how, of course, at that point, VARTs were either non-existent or were very, very minimal. But now he said they have made a comeback. So listen to this clip. I once saw something described 
as the most universally loathed Jewish gathering. And it's not a funeral. It's what's called a vart. It's making a comeback. We thought that we had gotten rid of this ridiculous waste of time and energy and money. A friend of mine was telling me he was talking to a bentayre. Chosh of a bentayre who earns a year what many people earn a month who aren't rich people. He said, oi, his daughter's got engaged. He needs a few thousand dollars to make a vart. He says, why? Well, I have to. He says, and he says, and that, what are they going to say? So, just don't make one. Just put in a few plates of cake, and you don't have to have it. Who says you have to have it? Who says we have to spend hours and hours of life traveling back and forth for absolutely nothing? So there you have it. Those, to me, are arguably the most powerful words, or one of the most powerful phrases that he uses, just don't have it. Why? Why do you have to have it, just don't have it? Like questioning, what he's doing is he's debunking the notion, and he's not saying don't have the celebration. Of course, he celebrated. It's a big simcha. Throw a few pieces of cake on the table, and that's that. People don't have to travel for two hours necessarily to go if they're far, very far away. But his point is, he's challenging the whole assumption over here. It's like a given, and he's saying it's not a given. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars, especially if you don't have the money. You cannot afford He's not telling people who have the means. He does allude to that later, but he doesn't tell people who have the means. Listen, I don't think you should do it even if you have the means. That's not what he's doing in this clip. He's say, talking about somebody who doesn't have it, but they're doing it because of the immense social pressure, and he's saying— you actually don't have to do it. Like, what's going to happen if you don't? What well, then people are going to think? People are going to this. People, what's going to happen? What's the tragedy that's going to happen? So I thought that was extremely powerful. All right. In the next clip, he talks about again all the obscene spending on simchas, and I, he doesn't use the word obscene. I'm using that word, but uh, he says something. He calls it the Jew tax. He says like the amount of you do the math of the thousands and thousands of dollars that it costs a, a Jewish family. He said, like, imagine if the government was taxing us at that same level. We'd, like, call it this horrible Jew tax. Listen to this clip. Families with 10 children, 11 children. So he has to think what's going on. He has to make a Shalom Zacher. Now there's a new plague called the Wachnacht. And then uh, there's the Opsheh. There's the Bar Mitzvah. And then there's the Lechaim and the Vort and the Chassanis and the Shebrach, the Shabbat Shebrach. And then there's a new thing called Messias, international law, where you have to be traveling everywhere all the time. And this is considered what everybody needs to do? Or if you don't have it, you're missing something. I'm talking about expenditures, besides what a Yid has, is Chalimud and Mitzvahs and Tfilin and Dalad Minim, which are Hele Gezach, that Yid is, that's what his money is for. A person could be hit every two years with a bill between 70000 to $100,000. <laughs> Imagine there was a Jew tax, that for being a Frum Yid, you had to pay $80,000 Every second year. We would be goizatanas. You could rise clear on what's going on, what's happening to us. For what? For who? For what? Not, not, not Hashem, not the Torah, not the Shulchan Aruch. No one says this has to be done. It's an invention. So there you go. I mean, again, a lot to unpack here, but essentially he's literally, literally going down the list of all the different possible simchas about Avachnach that had up Sharon and how extravagant they've become. And he's essentially denying, he's denying the fact that these things are necessities. Again, he's not denying the necessity to celebrate these. He's denying the necessity to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, especially that many people unfortunately don't even have and are possibly going to go into debt. All right, in the next clip, he actually refers to all of this, 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 this culture as terrorism, says let's declare war, let's wage war on this, and literally refers to it as terrorism. Listen to this clip. 
Let's declare war on this terrorism. We don't have to be terrorized. What do our children, how, how much can they value life if they see this is what we're prepared to do with life? The person is prepared to spend years in debt for one night. So what could life be worth? And why should he value it? And why shouldn't he look for Narishkeit and Stussen to fill his time with? So that is extremely powerful, obviously. By the way, my name is Yaakov M. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show. We are on Vin News. We're on uh, Yeshiva International, Nucky Radio, many, many other. We're on Spotify, many other podcast uh, channels and platforms. Feel free to send me an email about anything on your mind. Josh at VinNews.com. J-O-S-H at V-I-N-News.com. Here's an earlier part. Of what I just played you, some of these clips were later in the schmooze. Here's an earlier part where he essentially said, this very, in the, toward the very beginning of the clip that's been spread around, he said that all of this is choking the soul out of us. Those are his words. Very powerful. Literally, that's exactly how it feels. He says that society and culture where we admire materialism with such confusion is choking the soul out of us. Listen to this clip. And we think we must have and we live beyond our means. And we won't settle for anything less than that guy has or what everybody has. And that can't be. We can't live like that. And in the next clip, Rav Waxman alludes to what's nowadays called the FOMO, which fear of missing out, which he's referring to that aspect. Again, he does not use that phrase. I'm using that phrase. But he talks about how people have this like need to live beyond their means because they will not settle for like anything less than what Yenem has. They, you know, if he has it, then I have to have it. So listen to this clip. There's some, there's some underground seller and demons issuing edicts. You have to buy this, and you have to have that, and you have to have this, and if not, and you have Yingalite running around wild-eyed, go desperate to become millionaires. They, they can't even, when am I, when am I coming, when am I coming, when am I coming, millionaire? They have no time for anything else. Little do they know that before you come to this world, there's a gazera on you, whether you're going to be an ocean, you can't do anything about it. Okay, in the next clip, very powerful clip, Rav Waxman talks about demons issuing edicts, like young alight who are desperate to become, young alight desperate to become millionaires, and it's, it's fascinating because he says that it, it's not in your control anyway, but people have this delusion that it's in their control, and they, they just, he, he describes it as almost like an addiction or, you know, like, uh, just something very, uh, an unhealthy need or desire to, you know, become very wealthy and listen to this clip. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, it is so, so incredibly powerful. It sends chills down your spine, shivers down your spine. And again, Rev Waxman does not need my Huskama at all. But the, the, the way he words it, the way he phrases it, he has such a obviously good, good handle on the human psyche, on the psychology behind all of this, and just on what's going on right now, the culture and society. And the, the, the way he phrases it, the way he characterizes it is just so spot on. You literally just, it, it resonates. And all right, the next clip, extremely powerful. I know I sound like a broken record, but he actually, he quotes a story from the altar from the Vardic, and this is a very, very chilling, it's, it's a muscle, but a very, very chilling analogy. Listen to this. The, the altar from the Vardic told a Maisa Nifla, a Maisa Nifla, said it was a deer, and this deer had beautiful, magnificent antlers, and he was very proud of his antlers. He used to strut through the forest. He was very careful 
not to scratch them, not to bump them into a tree. He used to tread very carefully. And one day this proud deer comes out of the forest and he, and he comes, there's an open meadow, an open field. And he's looking around and he sees a hunter across the field raising his rifle about to shoot. And, and he freezes, he's terrified because he knows he, he can't hesitate now. He has to start running. But if he's going to run through the forest, he has to run through the trees, he's going to crack and break these magnificent antlers. What should he do? He knows he has to. He hesitated for a second, and he was shot. Shot dead. Then the Alta Vardik said, Oh, I forgot to add one part of the story. The deer never had antlers. He only imagined that he had antlers. <laughs> he gave his life away for a dimion that never existed. Unbelievable. Gave his life away for a dimion that never existed. Oh, I mean, how does that not just just resonate, resonate with us. Pretty amazing. And a final clip here, a short clip, and he just talks about, again, something that's inherent to human nature where we're always worried about what's the other guy going to think of me and we're just so self-focused. And again, he wasn't saying it in a negative way. He was just, he almost had pity on the person. Here, listen to this clip. I mean, this one I can really relate to, and it's true. You know, he says, I don't care about you. Who cares about your head? I care about my head, because that's true. We're all sitting there. Again, there are exceptions, but very often we're sitting there thinking that people are staring at us and thinking that we're inadequate, and they're thinking the same thing on their end. And now, it could be that they're better dressed or worse dressed or wearing something more expensive. That's not the point. The point is that you know, a lot of times we magnify, we exaggerate. The, if there's some sort of negative, some sort of flaw, he's th- this person sitting there thinking, oh, no, what are they going to think of my head? Ray Waxman's not even, it's like the last thing on his mind. I, I, he doesn't know who he is. It's like, let's say he even thinks that, oh, this hat, what, why is this person wearing a slumpy hat? The person's going to walk out, Ray Waxman, for all he knows, never going to see him again. And this person's sitting there and like, that's his obsession. And we could, again, we can all relate. It's, it's like not a knock. It's just like, imagine if we could overcome this. Imagine if we could like change this nature of ours. So, so Ray Waxman, what Ray Waxman is really tackling here is not just a financial issue, but it's the psychology of it because somehow collectively we become accustomed to a lifestyle that is essentially what he's saying is not aligned with Yiddish values in addition to being just completely unsustainable if you do the math. I want to mention um, there's a Mishnah Brura, and I think the Mishnah Brura is very, very relevant to this. Now, when we talk about Hishtadlus and Parnassah, Obviously, it's a very, very big, heavy Indian, and there's just so, so much that has to be discussed and, you know, different opinions, different sheets, etc. So I'm not here getting into the actual weeds of the halachalamaisa. However, there is the Mishnah Bura, which is pretty straightforward, which I don't hear very often quoted, but I think it's really re- very relevant to this conversation. Can I go into debt? If I have expenses, if I have things that I want to buy, if we want to go traveling, if we want to buy food, if we want to do, uh, you know, other, uh, other things that are, let's say, social norms at this point, you know, to buy a car— to buy whatever, you, you, you name it, right? So is that something to buy fancy electronics or uh, furniture for the house? And I don't have the money. Should I go into debt, right? So what is, like, what's the hashkafa? What's the halacha? Like, like, what actually is the Jewish the Torah perspective on this? So, again, I'm not coming to paskin anything. Certainly not. But I just got, I have to share with you. It's a Mishaburah based on a Rashi, based on a tour. It's in Simon Reish Membez, where he's talking about Shabbos expenses, Haitzahs for Shabbos, and Sifkatan... Dalid, he talks about the famous Mizainas Shal Shabbos Viyam Tivi Meisav Meisif and Lai. He brings the Gemara. Call Mizainas Shal Shalom Ketuvim Le Rosh Hashanah Vad Rosh Hashanah. Vyeshizar Shal Yosef Behen Pen Lai Kotzul Kachad. Essentially, what he's saying is the Gemara in Beitzah says that the Mizainas of a person, a person's 
Parnassa uh, is is established on Rosh Hashanah, as we all know very famously. And he brings a Rashi, You have to be careful not to add, not to overspend. In other words, you have to spend within your means, spend within your budget, because what if HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't allot, wasn't geyser uh, uh, beyond that amount? So in other words, we don't know how much we're supposed to get. It's, it's Nigzar on Rosh Hashanah, and what if you run out before the next Rosh Hashanah? It's pretty amazing. And uh, then again, the exception is Haitzah Shabbos and Yom Tov of the Talmud Torah, right? That's the exception. Then you can spend extra because presumably you'll get it back. But everything else, if you overspend, you don't get back. And then the Mishaburah says, Leiven Baribas at Tzarek Sud Shabbos. Or Sud Mitzvah. Fascinating. You're allowed to borrow Baribas. Now, talking about in a heter dick away, a derech heter of a yid or borrowing from a guy. Like a credit card, right? So you could borrow ribbis, but it's giving you a head to the barber ribbis, what? For Suda Shabbos or for Suda Mitzvah. Now, but what about all the other expenses? What about things that are not Suda Shabbos, Suda Mitzvah? Mashra from the Mishabur that you're not allowed to. And then the Mishabur in the, in the Sharetzian even goes further and he says it can lead to Gezel and Chil Hashem when people borrow and they don't have the money to cover the costs and they're not spending it on Kavit Shabbos or on Suda Mitzvah. Then that actually could lead Chasrashon to Gezel Chil Hashem and all sorts of other things, as we have seen. We have actually seen that kind of scenario play out exactly like that, that people live beyond their means from Yidin, good Yidin, and then uh, they resort, they succumb to a Yitzhahara to do things that, you know, that are illegal or sometimes also to get money, right? So that's the Mishabur is literally warning about that. So, so again, the simple reading of the Mishabur is that we should not be borrowing, um, at least not Baribis. I don't know about not Baribis, but very often credit cards and other, you know, home equity loans. Now, Sudas Mitzvah, you know, Rabbi Waxman's talking about Chasinah's worth these things. So what's considered Suda Smith or what's not? Again, way beyond the scope of this discussion. I assume if you ask Rabbi Waxman about a Chasinah, he'll say, yes, you can borrow for a Suda Smith of a Chasinah, but that doesn't mean that you need to have these fancy Chasinahs that cost fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. i am not saying that's what he would say, but that's what I would assume. Avart, I'm not convinced that a vart is a Suda Mitzvah. Maybe there's a difference between Litvox and Hasidim, but Litvox, the vart is a celebration. I don't know. You have to ask a Pisic. I do not know, but I don't think it's a simple thing to, to say that a vart is a Suda Mitzvah, especially our waxman is saying, you're, whatever the Indian is, you're yotzi by slapping down a few pieces of cake. So that doesn't require ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Again, I'm just bringing up these issues. I'm just trying to raise awareness and ask some thought-provoking questions. You know, here's some other questions that I would ask for Waxman, uh, if I could. Maybe someday we'll get him for an interview to discuss this. I don't know. But, uh, you know, number one, how do we determine what is considered a tzarek? What is necessity? What is not necessity? And, for example, what if a child needs something? What if you're, you're talking, you're, you're making a bar mitzvah for your child or a vart for your children, and <clears throat> they feel that they need something? It's not because I feel I need it, because the neighbors, what are the neighbors? What are my friends going to think? What's the shul going to think? What's my family going to think? But actually, the, the children themselves need the bar mitzvah, need the simcha, need the clothing. Like, there's so many expenses, so many expenses, so many items where the family feels, well, listen, if I'm not getting this thing, well, what's wrong with us? Why are we different than everybody else? And it can actually affect the child's psyche, I would think. I don't know. Or, or maybe not. Maybe with the proper parenting, we can explain it to the child in a way that it will not traumatize or hurt the child. But that would just be a question that I would raise. What if it's not because I feel the need to keep up with the Joneses? What if it's because of my children? What about camps? What about seminaries? There, You know, there are so many things, kiddishes. And uh, Ray Waxman did mention that at one point in his speech. And in a, what about Mechutanim? You know, a person is making a chasana and uh, the Mechutanim, you know, have a certain um, desires of the Mechutanim, you know, have a certain standard that they want to keep up. So these are a lot of interesting issues that can arise. Uh, again, Ray Waxman was trying to say, listen, at least you yourself, if you are in control and it's about you, then you need to just don't do it, as he said. Just don't do it if it's if it's you. Uh, but if other people are involved, again, that's an open question. I don't know. 
And another question is, what about somebody who has the means? And Rav Waxman addresses this as well. He says, start with them. He says, those people should be the ones who are leading this. He, he wants to start a movement, essentially, where people just do not uh, make these extravagant chasanas and, 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 and have these extravagant, ostentatious expenses. And he says, let's start with the wealthy people who have the means, because that will show everybody else that you do not need to live up to that level of lifestyle. Um, and... You know, is he asking them essentially to sort of like sacrifice for the sake of the claw? Maybe. Again, I don't know. I'm not saying what you should do, but that's sort of what it sounded like a little bit. And finally, I just want to mention somebody wrote a letter to a news website uh, last week essentially about camps and about the exorbitant prices of sleepaway camps. And look, they certainly made a lot of good points here. I think we can all, many families can relate, saying that it's really, really difficult to afford. You know, camp tuition can cost as much as a full year of yeshiva tuition. And on the one hand, children seem to need it nowadays, but it's like really, really unaffordable. Now, the person writing the letter <clears throat> sounded like they were kind of putting it on the, um, putting the onus, putting the burden on the camp directors and the camp owners to lower their costs and to not charge so much money. I don't know that I agree with that because to me, they're business people. You know, I don't know if it's like a yeshiva. Camp is a little bit different. It's more of a business to me and, you know, not something that they're taking on as they then become achroi for the tzibra. I don't know. But to me, it seemed uh, a little bit unreasonable to blame the camp owner. Again, I'm not talking about a camp owner who charges very, very exorbitant costs and is making a fortune. I'm talking about a camp owner who covers their costs and is trying to make a little profit and that's their prognosis for the year. Um, I don't know, you know, but uh, but either way, that's not the issue. The issue is, you know, I would agree that camps have become very much a necessity for children without a summer camp. I mean, a child is, is almost just not going to manage, not going to function well, but it, it, the expenses are just beyond so many families' means. So what's the answer? To me, the answer is it's on the cloud, just like any other stucca where now it becomes an achrayas of the tzibur. And I'm not saying that to pass the buck. I'm saying, you know, we need to get, have this conversation as a tzibur. We need to have this conversation as a klal saying, all right, what are we going to do? Just like yeshiva costs, you know, there are all sorts of funds to cover to yeshiva tuition, not enough, but, but, but a lot. Same thing should be for camp costs. That would be the, you know, the, the arguable response to this crisis, the, the, what, what we could call the, the camp crisis. And I would just throw, throw out this idea that maybe putting that together with Rav Waxman and what he's saying, uh, maybe there should be, should be some kind of fund when people spend X amount of money, wealthy people spend X amount of money on their chasana, on their simcha, on their vart, on their taya mehasud, on their upsharit. Beyond a certain amount, maybe they voluntarily, nobody's going to force them, but voluntarily decide to give, I don't know, several thousand dollars to a tzedakah to help pay for children's camps. Offset the costs of camp using the money that's spent on simcha. Say, you know, I'm going to spend a little bit less on this simcha, and that money's going to go toward this fund to help a child go to sleepaway camp, or go to camp. Or uh, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot on a simcha, but then I'm going to allot 5,000 additional dollars to this fund, or something like that. This is a conversation that we need to have. It's not going to be solved overnight, but it certainly is a very, very big crisis. And Baruch Hashem, that Rav Waxman has spoken up about it. Hopefully this message will continue to spend. All right, now he, to spread, I should say. Thank you for listening. Now here is the entirety of that clip, about 17-minute clip of Rav Waxman. If we talk about... Gashmius and materialism with a gleam in our eyes. And that's what gets us excited and animated. And we talk about cars and about houses and about, uh, and about making millions and about weddings and about food and about all every latest pleasure excursion. This, this is what gets us excited and we talk about this and this is some sort of ambition. We don't see the avok. That means that we are covered with avok. We're losing the battle. 
we've created or we've allowed to be created a society and a culture where we admire consumption and materialism with such a bilbul, with such a... with such confusion. And this is bringing upon us economic stress and distress and duress. That it's choking the soul out of us. And we're losing Khalila Ruach Kodshikha. We are allowing ourselves, we're allowing our heads to be twisted. And we think we must have, and we live beyond our means. And we won't settle for anything less than that guy has, or what everybody has. And that can't be. We can't live like that. We have, Baruch Hashem, large families. Families with 10 children, 11 children. So, he has to think what's going on. He has to make a Shalom Zacher. Now there's a new plague called the Vachnacht. And then uh, there's the Opsheh, there's the Bar Mitzvah, and then there's the Lachayim and the Vort, and the Chasanis, and the Shebrach, the Shabbat Shebrach, and then there's a new thing called Nesiyas, international law, where they really have to be traveling everywhere all the time. And this is considered what everybody needs to do. Or if you don't have it, you're missing something. I'm talking about expenditures, besides what a Yid has, and Schalimud, and Mitzvahs, and Tfilin, and Dalad Minim, which I hate gezach that Yid is, that's what his money is for. A person can be hit every two years with a bill between $70,000 to $100,000. <laughs> Imagine there was a Jew tax, that for being a Frum Yid, you had to pay $80,000 Every second year. We would be goizatanas. You could rise kri on what's going on, what's happening to us. For what? For who? For what? Not, not, not Hashem, not the Torah, not the Shulchan Aruch. No one says this has to be done. It's an invention. There's, there's some underground seller and demons issuing edicts. You have to buy this, and you have to have that, and you have to have this, and if not, and you have Yingalite running around wild-eyed, go desperate to become millionaires. They, they can't even, when am I, when am I coming, when am I coming, when am I coming, millionaire? They have no time for anything else. Little do they know that before you come to this world, there's a gazer on you, whether you're going to be an ocean, you can't do anything about it. Of course they know. We don't think. Our heads aren't on straight. And the Chavis al says, they wish they created the world. Only a myriad of people can be wealthy. And the Raif can't be. Otherwise the world couldn't function. So we can't have a society where, where, where you have to be a gvir to meet what, what we claim to be our basic living expenses.
means our heads are crooked. I once saw something described as the most universally loathed Jewish gathering. And it's not a funeral. It's what's called a vart. It's making a comeback. We thought that we had gotten rid of this ridiculous waste of time and energy and money. A friend of mine was telling me he was talking to a bentoire. Chosh of a bentoire who earns a year what many people earn a month who aren't rich people. He said, oi, his daughter's got engaged. He needs a few thousand dollars to make her vote. Why? Well, I have to. He says, and he says, and that, what are they going to say? So, just don't make one. Just put out a few plates of cake, and you don't have to have it. Who says you have to have it? Who says we have to spend hours and hours of life traveling back and forth for absolutely nothing? We can decide to change the trend. I remember when I was a kid, we used to be in camp. I was always in the spoil, there's something called camp time. <laughs> you know? We just invented our own time. They say it's one o'clock, we say it's twelve o'clock. Who's gonna stop us? Use our seichel. Whatever I say, we make simchas. We prepare for simchas. What is preparation for a simcha? What, what does it come to? It's come to hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars just about clothing. Think about it. Think about it. The the, the bahola the waste of time. The Noshim Tzitkanius hate it. Just think, we have to do it. They're not doing it for any reason. What would be so terrible? You know, in Eretz Yisrael, we make a chasana, you put on your big day Shabbos, the men and the women, and they go to a chasana. Big day yontiv. Is this what life is for? Is this what we, oh, you're the so where you holding, where you holding with the shopping? Where you holding, what, what? Who said so? Who decided? Don't we have 50 Noshim Tzidkanius and Klai Yisro are ready to say we will break the trend, we'll change it? We have many more than that. Let's declare war on this terrorism. We don't have to be terrorized. What do our children, how, how much can they value life if they see this is what we're prepared to do with life? If a person is prepared to spend years in debt for one night, so what could life be worth? And why should he value it? And why shouldn't he look for Narashkeit and Shtusim to fill his time with? I have to this and I have to that. What's this one going to say? What's that one going to say? My kavodach. The Daltaf and told a Maisa Nifla. A Maisa Nifla. Said there was a deer. And this deer had beautiful, magnificent antlers. And he was very proud of his antlers. He used to strut through the forest. He was very careful not to scratch them, not to bump them into a tree. He used to tread very carefully. And one day this proud deer comes out of the forest 
and he, and he comes, there's an open meadow, an open field, and he's looking around, and he sees a hunter across the field raising his rifle about to shoot. And, and he freezes, he's terrified because he knows he, he can't hesitate now. He has to start running. But if he's going to run through the forest, he has to run through the trees, he's going to crack and break these magnificent antlers. What should he do? He knows he has to. He hesitated for a second, and he was shot. Shot dead. Then the Alphabet of Ardik said, Oh, I forgot to add one part of the story. The deer never had antlers. He only imagined that he had antlers. <laughs> he gave his life away for a dimion that never existed. This one's going to say that. No one's going to say anything. I always tell the story. I'm sitting at a chasen and out of nowhere, a guy, I don't even know him, he sits next to me. Nowhere, he turns to me and says, It's my rain hat. <laughs> By mistake, I took my rain hat. <laughs> you think I'm thinking about your hat? I'm thinking about my hat. Who cares about your hat? And this is what we drive ourselves crazy for. These trends. We need this. We need the breaches and sneers. And a person can't walk, walk into a house, you stand in front of the... You, you invite a person to a simcha, you, you, you marshal him. This is who we are, this is what we want to do, this is what we want to be. How did, how did this get into us? Who told us this is a way? The trends, they, they, who are they? Nobody knows. We don't need the goyishkeit. We don't need it. Many people have no chiyas never because they have no panosa. Klayas v'ldaf panosa. But we also have to use our seichel. And we have to know that we cannot, we cannot survive as a community of Torah if we continue to consume double and triple what we earn. It is going to destroy us. It is going to make us desperate people who have nothing in life except the next five minutes. If you want to do something for the future of Klal Yisrael, live within your means. And certainly if you have more means, live with less. Help us, help us survive. You know, if a person is drowning, somebody's holding his head down under the water and he's fighting for air and he's struggling. <laughs> you tap him on the shoulder. Uh, can I try? I want to interest you in coming to a daf yaymishir. <laughs> out of your mind? Leave me alone. I'm drowning. He can't even think about anything because he's drowning. Because he's desperate. He'll do anything. Even things that can end him up in prison. 
What we categorize as standard, as needs, keeps on growing and growing. What we must have gets more and more. Whatever anybody else has, it becomes a must. We can't. The math doesn't add up. How can we expect children to stay on the derech of Yiddishkeit when there's no future for them? All there is is despair. If we can't teach them to be satisfied with what Hashem gives us, how much we add on ourselves for no reason, for no good reason, the trips and the excursions and the plays and the designer names, all of these things, they never end. And often we dress them up in a mazva of Kedusha. If we can't, we can't. It has to become a conversation, Rabbi. So we have to start talking about it. We're bringing up Deiris of B'nai Torah. They can read B'nai Torah. That means we're living with limited income. Limited income means we have to understand and accept what's the need and what's not a need. Anything you can do to help. Wherever, wherever somebody, if anybody's doing anything to help it, be there. Be a help, don't be a hindrance. If the Rav of Yeshul once introduced a Takana, that there shouldn't be the, 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 to, to, to make the Kiddushim less, it shouldn't be hot, whatever it is, you be from the supporters, be a vocal supporter of his. We had a, a, somebody made an, a, a, an appeal for Taim Cheshabbos. He said $10,000 a Shabbos it costs Taim Cheshabbos here in Monsi. How much goes out on Kedeshim a Shabbos for food that we don't even need? We're going home to eat in five minutes. If Yemachutin says to you, you know, I don't want to make a vart, say to him, give Valdik, I agree with you, instead of being difficult. We can do for the future of Klal Yisrael. So much we bring upon ourselves things that are just beyond the possibility that can only result in destruction. And I said it before, what were to happen? What would happen if people would go to a chasana in their Shabbos clothing? Last time I said this, I got a call. One woman said she wants to organize 50 women, 100 women, they should sign. They don't have to organize anything. Just do it yourself. Not everybody has the courage. I understand that there's some people who might really feel diminished before them. You have to think. But, but if, you have, if, if you have that security and you have the courage, just do it. And, and soon it will become a fashion and, and we'll drop the whole insanity. How are we supposed to pay the chaslanists forty, fifty thousand dollars? Yeah, how is it supposed to happen? We're going to go insane.
We're not a stupid nation. We know how to do math. I think so. Help! Everyone can do their part. It's a language that we have to start talking, we have to start discussing, we have to start admiring. And the people who have have to lead the way. And they'll be remembered, Latoiva Lanetzach. <laughs>